Hello, this is Jim Walsh, and welcome to my podcast called On Eagle's Wings. Life has a way of teaching us that nothing can last forever. Some of these lessons are learned the hard way. We learn them because they cause us grief, they cause us sorrow. We see a loved one that we love losing their life. Other lessons happen and maybe we don't pay much attention to them. We lose an article of clothing or something that we've had for a while begins to wear out and we simply replace it. I have a couple of books that I've collected over the years that were published all the way back in the 1940s by the State Street Bank and Trust Company in Boston. I grew up in Boston. These books tell about many statues and monuments in the Boston area. Some of those still existed when I was a child growing up there in the mid-60s. But many of the statues that they listed in their book I had never seen. Some were destroyed by vandals. Some were moved to make way for modernization of a particular area. Some older ones just gave way to the ravages of time and crumbled and people removed them. It's interesting to see some calendars that exist that might show pictures about the different places in the city or town where you live. Maybe there's a picture of an old train depot that isn't there anymore. Maybe it was a mill somewhere close by that people used to gather at. Maybe you remember that theater that used to be in the city square or the old high school. All those things are gone and now they only exist as pictures in a calendar. Maybe they exist in the memories of people who share them on a regular basis at reunions. Such it is with our lives. They don't last forever either. Some folks may live to be a ripe old age. Sadly, some die in youth. Others barely make it through the middle years because we have no guarantee of how long any life will last. And to us, the concept of something being forever seems difficult to grasp, when as the examples we've cited previously, sometimes show us that things don't even last in our own lifetime, let alone generation after generation. And that's why God's promises are so precious. He promises that those who are in his kingdom, those who are part of his covenant, can know that it is an everlasting one. Consider what the inspired writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 13, verse 20. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. God has provided an everlasting covenant or testament. We want to spend some time today then thinking about that verse in Hebrews 13 verse 20 and note some of the things that it mentions that help us depend upon, have confidence in, can be assured of the power of God, his love for us through this everlasting covenant. First, the writer here says that God is the God of peace. That is his goal. Peace is what we all desire. The world does not bring peace. Through the world we learn of sin, 
Sin is that which separates us from God. The Bible tells us that in sin, in this separation, we are the enemies of God. The King James Version says that we are at enmity. It means war, that we're constantly fighting against God. But Jesus tells us that when we heed God's word and we obey him, we have peace. John 14, verse 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. The peace that the world offers us is by giving up on God and giving in to the world. But the peace that God offers only through his son Jesus Christ is peace that is everlasting. There is no more worry about sin or about its consequences. In fact, God tells us in his word in such passages as Romans chapter 8 verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. In Christ, we don't have to worry about sin's consequences because we have peace with God. But when we look at Hebrews chapter 13 verse 20, it also tells us that he provides a covenant, an agreement by God that is to our benefit. Again, the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20, now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant. The wonderful thing about the mercy of God is that we sinned against him. And we could not demand his mercy. We could not expect his mercy. We could not purchase his mercy. But he offered his mercy by providing salvation. When someone does us wrong, we expect that they will make it right, that they will offer to take care of the situation, however much it may be, however often it might be, to correct what was done with God. He takes care of the situation. We see the hallmark character of God's love and mercy and forgiveness displayed to us. The way God does this is by a covenant, an agreement, a testament, a legal contract between two parties specifying what each can expect from the other. On God's end, he agrees to provide the means of our redemption, forgiveness from our sins and the consequences that go with those sins. On our end, we're expected to accept and obey the gospel that he has provided, following his plan the way he has outlined it. How do I know that God will hold up his end of the agreement? It's almost blasphemy to even ask such a question. However, God even at this point demonstrates his willingness to forgive our sins. He takes an oath to this effect. Again, the Hebrew writer tells us in Hebrews 6, verses 16 through 18, For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of the promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Something that is immutable cannot be destroyed. We have fled to God for refuge from sin. He affirms that in obedience to his will, 
He takes the blood of Jesus Christ and cleanses our soul spotless and free and brings us into his household where there is safety, where there is blessings and being his child, the covenant that he establishes through Jesus Christ. He pledges to us the guarantee of this covenant by the shedding of Christ's blood. As if this oath God had taken was not enough, the covenant that he established affirms his desire to save us by shedding the blood of his Son. Back in the Old Testament, God warned the people through Moses not to eat or drink blood, for he told them that life is in the blood. This was a shadow of the true and everlasting life that is found in the saving blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus told his disciples that his blood was being shed for the redemption of mankind. On the night of his betrayal, as he sat with his disciples, observing the Passover meal, at that point he instituted what is referred to in the scriptures as the Lord's Supper, using those elements of the Passover. As recorded in Matthew 26, verses 27 and 28, it says, And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. The disciples were told what his dying on the cross would do, and the shedding of his blood redeemed men from their sins. Hebrews 13.20 also tells us that God is serious about the need for a covenant. His seriousness is seen by the cost, that it costs the life of Christ. God did not give the life of an angel. He did not pay the ransom price for our sins with gold, silver, or some precious metal or gem. He did not lead an army into battle to take it. He gave the life of his son, the greatest ransom price ever paid the pure and sinless life of Jesus Christ on the cross. No other life has ever been lived as pure as Jesus. No other one than Christ has ever lived that perfect life. His life is the most unique among mankind, for only he was able to live a life that honored the Father in every way. His sacrifice then was the most perfect, the most pure, the most acceptable. To give such a perfect life, shows exactly how serious God is that we need salvation from sin. Another thing that Hebrews 13.20 tells us is that we can depend upon God's power to maintain this covenant. His power to provide is seen by his raising Jesus from the dead. All of us fear death. We don't know what is going to happen once we die. We depend upon God's word to tell us that there is a life beyond this life and that we can all have and enjoy that life in his presence after death. No one will escape death unless God determines to end the world before we die. As a boy, I loved to read biographies and autobiographies of famous people, and I still do to this day. And I remember reading about the great Harry Houdini, who died back in the mid-1920s. He told his wife that he had a desire to come back. Now, no man had ever escaped death. And, of course, the great magician, the great escape artist, could not escape death. Only Jesus Christ, the Son of God, overcame death through his resurrection from the dead. There's an empty tomb as a memorial to Jesus to give us hope and to show us the power of God.
that he alone can defeat death and grant unto us eternal life. Finally, there's something else to think about with respect to Hebrews 13.20. It is by God's word, by God's promise, that this covenant, once established, is an everlasting one. Let's read that verse again. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. God's promise is that this covenant was established through the blood of Jesus Christ, and his blood established an everlasting covenant not to be destroyed, not to fail. It will continue forever. It was not like the old covenant that God established with animal blood, and and under which God said a new one would replace it. But this new covenant has no replacement. That means that anyone who has come along throughout history and who has said that they have a new covenant of some sort, a new message from God, is lying. It doesn't matter how long ago they came. It doesn't matter what evidence they're providing. If we are to believe them, of necessity, we must believe that God lied and that his power to establish an everlasting covenant does not exist. So when one like Joseph Smith comes along in the 1820s and says that God through the angel Moroni gave him a New Testament, what happened to the first? And if God could not secure that first one forever, there's no guarantee that this supposed one can continue. If it replaces the previous one, which was established by the blood of Jesus Christ who was resurrected from the dead, then Christ's was not an everlasting one. And the one that supposedly Joseph Smith brought is of a weaker and less power. Thus, there's no guarantee that it will be everlasting. And that places us then in a position of having to wait every couple of generations for a new one, which in effect is a weaker one. A useless one. Either God was able to do what he said in the first century, or he's never able to do it. There are no other choices. Friends, men may come and go, but only the covenant that God established through his Son, Jesus Christ, and by his pure and sinless blood is the true and everlasting one. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Hebrews 13.20 tells us the power of God over death, the mercy of God to forgive sin, the love of God for man to offer his son as a sacrifice, the incredible cost of that sacrifice, the life of Jesus on the cross, the enduring nature of that blood into eternity, and that covenant that is available for all people for all time into eternity. Thank you so much for listening to On Eagle's Wings. This is Jim Walsh. Thank you and have a great day.